Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 71 of the podcast. It's the 10th of May, 2017, as I record this intro. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome back Sandra Dodd. We have a wonderful conversation and a lengthy one, too. So I'm going to skip this week's update so we can get there faster. Uh, I would be remiss, though, if I didn't take a moment to thank everyone supporting the show on Patreon. I deeply appreciate you. And if you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com and see what goodies I have to share with you as an extra thank you for your support. And that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. Now, Sandra shared so many gems in this episode, but here's a quote that I'd love to emphasize. No one is ever likely to read my whole website and I don't ever need them to. It's not written to be read from one end to the other any more than a pharmacy is intended for someone to start at one end and eat, drink, or inject every substance in the whole room. If you find a page that does help you, guess what? It will help you even more if you read it again after a year or two. And if you read it after you've been unschooling for five years, it will seem that the first time it was a black and white postcard and now it's a Technicolor movie because you'll understand it better and you'll see the subtlety and the artistry of what people wrote and maybe you'll wish you'd been able to understand it better sooner. This is such a valuable part of the journey. There's a shift in perspective that happens as we learn more about and gain more experience with unschooling. A number of podcast guests have mentioned that over time, they learn the principles of unschooling more deeply, that there's an intellectual understanding, and then there's, for lack of a better term, like a whole body understanding. You know, when you know something deep in your bones. I love how Sandra described it, that the first time it makes sense, it's like a black and white postcard. But later, when you go back to the same idea again and again, you now begin to see that Technicolor movie and can deeply appreciate the subtlety and artistry that was there all along. Try it yourself. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a few months or more, there are more than 70 episodes now, go back and re-listen to the earlier episodes and see what strikes you now. I bet it'll be new things and you'll have new insights because you're now bringing a new perspective to that experience. Try it again in another six to 12 months. It's crazy wonderful. And it's part of why I love doing these podcasts. I still gain new and deeper insights even after 15 years. It's so cool. And now let's get to that interview with Sandra. Hi everyone, I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Sandra Dodd. Hi Sandra. Hi Pam. Hello, hello. I am so thrilled to have you back with us. For those of you who are new well, to thank the you. 
No problem. Uh, for those who are newer to the podcast, Sandra did a wonderful 10 questions episode earlier last year, which I will link to in the show notes. And in there, you can hear lots about her three children, Kirby, Marty, and Holly, who are all now adults, and their unschooling lives. Every time I speak, I think I say too much, and then I think I don't say enough, because because every person wants what they want, you know, so it's hard to guess. So some people think, oh, that was so long. And some people are like, I wish you'd said more. <laughs> so I just want to say that in advance of today, I could not decide what to put in. So I just uh, guessed. But some of the notes from, for today came from a talk I gave in the UK. And sometimes I just uh, copied, cut and pasted something. And I realized the difference is in the last interview, I was really talking to you. I wasn't working from notes. I was just really answering questions directly to you but this time i'm going to end up addressing the listeners sometimes so i don't want that to confuse people if i say you i'm probably not talking to you pam <laughs> sometimes i will be i but i didn't want to change all the notes to if one were to have you know that sort of stilted thing yeah. so sometimes it's going to say if you could do this and i'm going to know you've already done that <laughs> and then i'm ready that's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. That is, There is a difference in, in the kind of approach. So I, I love that you took a moment to focus that for the listeners. And for this episode, what we're going to do, because uh, we were talking about this earlier, we'd like to focus on the changes that we go through as parents as we live this unschooling lifestyle with our children. Because there's there's a bit of a pattern, it seems, to the kinds of questions that people have along their unschooling journey that seem to break down reasonably well into beginner, intermediate, and advanced topics. And I thought it would be fun to break our questions down into each of these areas. So to get started, I recall when I was beginning unschooling, my days were typically a mix of learning about how natural learning works and starting to question a lot of the conventional wisdom that I had absorbed growing up. Uh, there are many ways that those preconceived ideas and prejudices can limit people's thinking and get in the way of moving to unschooling, aren't there? There are quite a few things, and they come up gradually. For a child, de-schooling is just the time to relax and get used to being home and with mom, a child who's been to school. A child who hasn't been to school has no de-schooling to do. But for parents, de-schooling is detoxification from a lifetime and recovery from all of their schooling and whatever teaching they might have done. And it's also the start of a gradual review of everything. But if we tell brand new unschoolers, okay, here it is, you need to review everything that's ever happened to you because they don't need to do it in advance. They don't need to do it right at first. Mm -hmm. But it's so, it's so big, but it's also so gradual. It's just like living and breathing and eating and sleeping because every day a little more can come to the surface and be examined as it pops up. The parents need to learn mostly how to learn without books or classes or teachers because the kids already have been home and doing that. And a child even who's been to school, say a child who went to fourth grade or so, has been in school for five years, but that won't take them long to get over that, a few months, and they'll be glad to be home. So it's the parents who need the, the big de-schooling, and some of the problems are covered in your introductory materials. I think that is wonderful that they can get your free book and begin to methodically dismantle the structure they grew up with so that they can start to see differently. I'm glad that resource is available, so thank you. I recommend it all the time. Yeah, thank you. 
different people need and take in and understand and use different things. Just like trying to plan a talk like this without knowing who will listen and how much time they'll have and what mood they'll be in. But when, when anyone goes to the same introductory materials, each person sees it differently because they have different needs and that's all right. One problem that comes up is efficiency, the idea of the glory of efficiency. And that can be a problem because people get competitive. We're all um, keeping track of how long, how quickly we got into university and how soon we got out or how many minutes we can take to get dinner on the table. Oh, I can do that meal in 30 minutes. I can do that meal in 20 minutes. <laughs> and unschooling isn't like that at all. Even in the long term, it's not about the completion of a project at all. It's about becoming the sort of people who see and appreciate and trust that learning can happen and who can travel with children, not just drag them along or push them along, but can travel with children along those interesting paths together, not until you get there, but indefinitely. And for beginning unschoolers, that sounds also a little esoteric, a little foofy, and not solid. They want to know, what do I do when the kids wake up in the morning? So the beginning information is very often, what do I do? But the information that will get people from beginning to intermediate is why. Why do we do this? Negativity is another problem that can keep people in the starting space too long. If they prize their indignation and their pessimism, and that's their identity, it, it would be okay for childless people to be that way, but people with children really can't unschool if they identify with outrage and they're proud of anger. They really need to find a way to be happy. I've seen people try to do it, to cling to that and say, well, that's just the way I am. But their kids end up increasingly unhappy or without the benefits that so many other families' kids are, are showing. The other parents are in there really happy about what surprised them, that their children are doing things earlier or more willingly than other families, but the pessimistic and negative families aren't seeing that very readily, if at all. So it's another thing that people need to dismantle Long ago on a group far away, I don't, I don't remember which one, I could guess it some, but it's gone anyway. Someone posted a request for people to share their worst days. Could we all just share one of our worst days when things went totally wrong? And Pam Sarushian was a moderator, and she jumped in there right away and said, no, that's a bad idea. We're not going to do that. Because people have bad days, but what's really helpful is to share good days. And I was so glad she had been there because I was away from the computer for a while, and those started to pile up. It's possible to depress people. I could do it. I, I have enough stories in me that I could just tell stories until everyone in the room was suicidal or wanted to kill me or both. And I don't tell those stories. There are a lot of stories I know about things that went wrong in people's lives. And it's just best not to recite those things. Because children need peace and joy and love. And if the parents are going to be their sole providers in this home environment of learning, the kids need all the peace and love they would need from their parents, and then they need all the peace and love they were going to get from their teachers. When a family is very negative, very, very cynical parent, they're sacrificing the chance that maybe the teacher would have been friendlier and happier than they are. And so they need to be twice as, as peace and love as they might have been if they weren't unschooling, which irritates some cynical people. But they may need to sacrifice their wallowing and step out into the sunshine emotionally and morally and sometimes physically. Another problem is the need for support and approval, which happens with women more than with men. And if 
newcomers can get over that, they level up easily. It's very easy in an online discussion, especially to get props and praise from absolute total strangers. And the most popular praise is this season in North America is you're an awesome mom. People will write that to anybody. They don't know what that woman's doing on the other end of the phone. And it's also a way that moms have to complain in public and then have others grant them permission not to grow or change. It's a way that moms have to shame moms who are trying to do better and to celebrate with those who don't bother. It's not at all good for unschoolers. And in case what I said is, is confusing, um, I know that I know from having been a kid in school who got A's that the other kids will try to make you stop doing that, whether the teachers are grading on a curve or not. It's very unpopular for one child to do well. It's better if everybody agrees to meet in the middle and do a concerted group half-assed job. And I think that happens with parenting, too, out in the wild, not in unschooling groups when you're lucky. But for people to go, oh, don't worry about it. It's hard. That's just you're doing the best you can do. Everything you're doing is awesome. And though, so that's, that is something that a lot of women need and want because the way women learn traditionally is to share their stories, to share their stories about birth and um, housework and all of that. And that's how women learn how to do those things. And so when it comes to something like parenting or unschooling, the first instinct probably is to just talk to other moms who are about your age. You have kids about the age of your kids, but with unschooling, it's a little bit more of a specialized skill set. And so if you hang around with women who say, don't even try to do better, what, why are they telling you to do that? You don't have to do that. It might be better to hang around for a while until you catch the rhythm of unschooling to hang around with more experienced unschoolers. One of the best things I've found to help new unschoolers to, to understand this kind of learning is to get them playing with trivia. Collecting or discussing something entirely unrelated, they think, to learning. That we're just playing. We're just goofing around. We're just going to talk about words or songs or wheelbarrows. And while they're distracted and they are playing and what they consider is doing nothing, they start to see that they are comparing things and connecting things. Trivia means it won't be on the test it literally means a small, little, insignificant thing, a useless thing. But in our culture, it means trivia will not be on the test. And so when they find out that they're having fun with the names of Pokemon or with which country which martial arts are from and why, and after a while they start to see that this ties into all sorts of things, geography to technology and clothes style and art and architecture and religion and Home appliances and fashion trends, I've had company and we've been driving around and I've been telling them about the post-war housing. Those sinks were pink in those in those houses that were built in the 50s. A lot of them had pink bathtub, pink seat, pink toilet. Nobody would get a pink toilet nowadays. So you can kind of date things sometimes by those features if you know enough about it. What color are washing machines now? The cool ones are black. But who, got, who had a black washing machine in 1960? Nobody. That would be crazy. So if people know about any one thing, whether it's trailer hitches or anything, that knowledge ties into a lot of other things. And so when the parents get that from just playing and goofing around, they calm down. They start to see just from their playing that 
it doesn't have to be something that came out of a book. It doesn't have to be something that was on a curriculum for it to actually be useful. I probably every town, I don't know about Canada, sorry, I should have checked, but um, the American servicemen who survived World War II were all promised a house loan. And it was a certain amount. And so contractors back home started building those houses that you could get a loan for with that loan, with that particular loan. And so there are all these many, many neighborhoods of three-bedroom tract houses with a bathroom and a half and one garage, you know. And and they're everywhere, and there are, there, are, there are big neighborhoods of them in Albuquerque, and Marty lives in one. So anyway, that ties into a lot of things about finances and benefits and World War II and who went and how old were they and how old are they now, all that stuff. It's cool. I love that. I've always loved that sort of trivia, so that may be why unschooling came easy to me. Some people get all that easily and some don't. Some get a toehold and they begin to climb the first day they hear about it. Some get a vision that they can move toward and they're happy and some get a desire to learn more. And because we're talking about something intangible, metaphors and analogies like that, climbing or moving, are useful, but some people don't like metaphors. They don't like my examples. They want a graph and they want a checklist and they want measures and proofs. And so unschooling might be a problem for those kinds of people at first. Or they might prefer voices other than mine. They might want to read Joyce Federall's site. And I have a page on my site called Other Voices, SandraDodd.com, Other Voices, all one word, no caps. And that's where I have links to pages on other authors that are popular, have been popular, some are gone, not around anymore, but I still have their good stuff collected. And sometimes people just find a voice that they love. You know, they might just love Meredith's stuff or Karen James. And that, and so I have provided them a shortcut to more of it. Next okay. question. <laughs> I'll definitely put that link in the show notes. And I, I could sit here and just, just listen all day. Um, so many things connected for me as you were talking. And I, I'm just going to, like a couple of them, the, the idea of seeing it in action, right? Instead of telling them, trying to explain this is how learning works. This is how natural learning works. These connections. Just playing games and having fun. Uh, I think that's why we talk so much about taking those first six months a year off and just playing and like like a vacation with your kids because it's really the experience of those things happening. It's the looking back and going, oh, hey, look, you know, it went here, here, here. Look where we are now. That's when it really starts to make sense how this natural learning works. And and the piece about um, negativity I remember I have a talk where I actually said in my talk, I said I was going to um, list list out all these uh, more more negative perspectives on these situations. I said, but I really couldn't do it. That's just not not a place to go. There's no value there. And I remember somebody was listening and came up to me after and she's like, when you said you were going to go and explain all this, this negative perspective on it, she goes, I was so excited to hear how that was going to be compared. And she said, and then you said you weren't going to do it. And I was like, ah, (laughs) but then at the end it all made sense. But yeah, that is, that's a really, really huge thing, which I think also ties in with, um, um, Oh gee, I'm trying to remember, but I, I made a note to mention that, um, 
when when you're looking for voices when you're new newer to unschooling, I remember I um I my parenting questions I stopped asking in my my face to face like people I knew in in real life quotes, right? Because I wasn't getting those kinds of answers that I wanted now, and I would only then take my questions to um, the online unschooling groups because that's the perspective and the information that I wanted right away because I wanted to make that shift quickly. I didn't want to commiserate with, um, you know, the other parents whose kids were going to school and they were spending all their time complaining about um, their kids and teachers and everything. And, and that was really getting in the way for me because it would keep pulling me back into that. Um, but I would go to the unschooling forums, like, you know, where you were and stuff and get so much more helpful information. Okay. Uh, question two, which falls into that when you're starting out, it can be hard to figure out whether to trust a source of unschooling information at first, you know, as you're, especially now, I mean, back then when I started there, there were very few places to go and, and it was lovely to find them. But, but you, even within there, you found the voices um, that connected and resonated with you and that you learned to trust. Like you have your list of other voices that we'll link to as well. So I was wondering what tips you could give in that area. The first really vibrant, busy, everyday forum that there ever was was uh, on AOL. And we used to joke because we couldn't, in those days, send photos. If we wanted to see photos of each other, we would put a snapshot in an envelope and mail it in the mail. (laughs) Because the internet wasn't to the point that you could load a photo. Um, And so it was all just text. And we all looked the same. <laughs> and so we used to joke that we couldn't tell. Maybe one of us was a 70-year-old childless man in Florida. So we used to joke about that sometimes. If something seemed a little implausible or too exciting or wild or something, we'd go, that's probably that 70-year-old guy. But then we used to talk about that seriously on the side sometimes. It's like, what if? What if it was? But the advice was really good. How do we decide whether we need to know in advance who this person is and what they've actually done. And that's an interesting thought to have. But as the years passed and we start, oh, maybe I'm about to wrap myself out for wanting efficiency. But (laughs) it seems easier sometimes to just know solidly that someone actually is a good resource. (coughs) Excuse me. And, uh, I don't have any interest at all in the world in certifying anyone or having ranks. That would be a nightmare because then people would start cheating and lying to get the rank. I've seen it in some other clubs. And so that's not what I'm looking at at all. What I, what I think is that each person will find voices they like. And, and to use a school analogy, when I was in school, there were teachers I loved, loved, that other kids my age in my class couldn't stand mm-hmm. and vice versa. Sometimes somebody else's favorite math teacher was a guy I just didn't want to see. I don't want to hear his baseball analogies. I don't care. I don't know. I don't like his accent, you know, or whatever it was. And and the other kids are like, he's so cool. So it's that way with unschooling writing, too. Someone is just going to be wild about somebody because her writing is, is soft and flowy and not so scientific. And then somebody else, they're going to be going, yes, Joe Isaac will give us the links to studies. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not going to read a study. Forget it. So knowing that makes it individual. But then there's the balance of 
not having any idea who the person is and saying, okay, well, then I don't want to hear anything she says because that would be wrong. Then there's the other side where you go, well, oh, her kids look cute and I like her hair, so I'm going to believe every word she says. <laughs> and that's, that's a disadvantage of being able to look at photos because people can, can choose by looks. And that's a, that's a new oddity, a new problem that people will look back on and see. So it should be some and some. Until you learn gradually which direction you like or you want to go, which way you're going to lean in or scoot away from, just listen. Just read and be aware that some of those will become favorites and some of those you might avoid in the future. You just skip over their posts. So when somebody looks around at a lot of sources, some of them try to believe everything and incorporate everything, which is another problem, because there will be contradictions and clashes. Not all unschooling writers agree, and some people will say that what they're writing about is unschooling. It's not quite. So to use a more mainstream example, it would be like saying, well, I'm a liberal, so I believe everything that all liberals believe. That's not going to last long. Or as a Christian, I follow the doctrines of all churches equally. (laughs) Yeah, that's not working either. <laughs> so you could, you know, anyone who's listening could add the political group or religion that they know the most about to see what the problem is. Because if that was a possible possibility, there'd only be one political party in the whole world, one lawyer maybe, one doctor. There wouldn't be anything to argue about if everybody could agree so easily. That's not how it works. And the same with unschooling, because some people will say, well, it's child-led learning. And then there's a wonderful article by Pam Sushin saying it's really not child-led learning. But if someone starts in a group where they always say child-led, child-led, and then they come over to my group or some other couple of groups that are that are fans of Pam's writing, they're going to say, yeah, but child-led is a problem. Because some parents sit around in the recliner watching you know, action films waiting for the child to lead them somewhere. And so from the point of view of my group, we just say if the whole family is doing things together, learning's happening, nobody needs to lead. It's not about leading. And then some people say, oh, unschooling is freedom, and we're going to be free, and my kids will be free, and I'll be free, and we'll have all the freedom we can eat. And there are problems with that, some serious problems, because parents make their kids promises they can't keep. You know, you can do anything you want to. Now that we're unschoolers, you can do anything you want to. Well, no, you can't, not even in your own home. And certainly not in a store or a restaurant. So sometimes people come with these preconceived images, and then they come to one, to a, one of my discussions and they say, "Well, since unschooling is freedom, I told my child he could do whatever he want. And now we have problems." Or we've been waiting a whole year and our child didn't take responsibility for his own learning, so we're thinking of putting him back in school. So they grab a concept from one source and then they try to return it and get their money back over at a different group, like. Uh, they're frustrated if we say, but you didn't get that idea in this store. (laughs) You didn't get that idea in this discussion, so let's start back a few steps. They're really angry because they think unschooling is monolithic Mm -hmm. and that they compile everything on it. And the more ideas you have, the bigger and better your unschooling is. But what happens is the more mismatched ideas you chuck in there, the more confusing it is and it may not work at all. And sometimes we say, you need to start back at the beginning, and that irritates them. And I don't know what to do about that. We've had people come in who were stuck and confused about authenticity. They used that word so much and all the time that they weren't able to see anything outside that. Or autonomy. In the UK, they have had problems with autonomous unschooling, uh, autonomous home ed. And it it's just causes unreasonable splits. It's like, okay, chuck that word. Let's start in a clean place. Or there are worthless combinations like Waldorf slash Steiner. People come and say, I'm a Waldorf slash Steiner unschooler. And we're like, yeah, dump the Waldorf, 
dump the Steiner. They don't even match. Or homeschooling slash unschooling. It's just noise. It's a waste of pixels. So someone said recently, and I wish I had found who said it, that you can't drive two automobiles at the same time. So when people are starting with unschooling, I think they need to find a group, look at a lot of groups, and then find one you like and stick around and read it a lot. Don't just come when you have a problem. Uh, I, I wrote this just the other day about my website, and I thought it was kind of useful here. No one is ever likely to read my whole website. I don't need them to. It's not written to be read from one end to the other any more than a pharmacy is intended for one person to start at one end and eat, drink, or inject every substance in the whole room. If you find a page that does help you, guess what? It'll help even more if you read it again after a year or two. And if you read it after you've been unschooling for five years, it will seem that the first time it was a black and white postcard and now it's a Technicolor movie because you'll understand it better and you'll see the subtlety and the artistry of what people wrote and maybe you'll wish you'd been able to understand it better sooner. Okay, I have goosebumps from that because that is such a huge piece going back and revisiting ideas um a few months later a year later a couple of years later there's something new to get out of these ideas you know every time you visit um because because where you are in your learning curve uh changes all the time and i love the idea of going from black and white right because at the beginning we're looking we're looking for the answer we want to know you know tell me how to do it tell me how to do it yeah exactly it's black and white but then oh my gosh the the nuances right that come in and and when you can take those principles and and apply them to your unique children, your unique uh, family, and see them blossom with your kids, like like all those connections we were talking about in in the first question. I mean, wow, yeah, that just brings so much more color into your lives. And I had to laugh because um, Pam Sarushian's child-led learning post, we actually talked about it, and I linked to it in the last episode. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's good. It's really good. Yeah, it's awesome. And then, and then I think she should have written that a whole long time ago. We could have used that 20 years ago, but things come when they come, and I'm glad when they do. Yep, exactly. People I've seen, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to nope. say that, that it's the, the critical thinking piece that comes in. Uh, I posted recently on my blog about that, how, you know, yes, when you don't know the answers, um, when you're first pursuing interested in any topic, unschooling being a topic. So, you know, you, you go find a whole bunch, as you said, a whole bunch of groups. Um, and then you're going to start resonating with how people, uh, how people write the language they use to describe things, whether or not they use, you know, metaphorical language, um, you know, what kinds of resources they like to bring in with, with, uh, their answers, etc. And actually thinking about, what makes sense to you from your perspective and and what is starting to make sense with your kids and what you're seeing happen in your family at the same time. All that comes together to help you start to build trust um, in the resources and also trust in unschooling, right, as a, as a lifestyle. A practice. A, a practice. Way. <laughs> I like that. I like that practice. The people I've seen do best – found a discussion they really liked and trusted, and they stuck around and read actively for a couple of years. Some people don't think it's going to take a couple of years. Some people stay there for many years and help other people like Joyce has, like Pam Sarushian, like you have. The people who 
first come there, sometimes they mistake it for something like a university and they think that every speaker has been vetted or that everyone who writes is equally good. So that's another thing to watch out for when you're new. Remember that not every post is great. So stick around long enough to figure out which writers you like and also which ones are respected by the other people in there. Some people who have failed to unschool or who veered away from doing it well joined a group, but they only came if they had a problem. And so they would, this happens to us every day at Radical Unschooling Info on Facebook. Someone comes in and asks a question that was asked just a few days ago because they're not actually reading the group. They just want to use it like a fix-it shop. And that doesn't work as well because their problems tend to be worse every time they show up because they're not getting better. They're just getting a a Band-Aid. The unschooling didn't have a foundation of, of principles and understandings. So I think the the best thing to do is to first shop around and then find a home or two where you can hang out. Even if you're reading problems that don't apply to you, it's still going to be useful to think about what you would do or how you would advise if you were one of the more experienced ones. I, I like when people say, well, I thought you would probably say this and Joyce would probably say that. And I was right. So they use it kind of like a test or a game for fun to guess what somebody's going to write. And that can help too. But when someone posts a problem that I never had, I feel gratitude. I feel lucky or fortunate that that problem shone a peaceful light on a place in my life. And so that's another benefit, even if the topic isn't about you or not, you know what I mean, not about a a problem that you have or need that your family has. It can still be really useful to remember that some unschoolers have problems you didn't have to worry about. And that's part of what abundance and gratitude are about, about seeing what you do have. So I think if people will read a little and think about the ideas every day, a little bit, they'll have fewer problems and their de-schooling will be smoother. And you mentioned critical thought. I was going to mention that, um, and I won't. (laughs) I think people, um, hey, guys, if... The idea of reading every day, I think that's a huge piece because I remember I would specifically get up early, you know, before the kids every morning and go visit the couple of Yahoo groups at the time, right? And what you said about um, considering it every every day, digging, seeing what um, answers would be to Problems maybe you haven't had yet or questions that hadn't occurred to you yet. I mean, I was so grateful for all the people who were asking questions because I didn't need to. Actually, somebody just posted that on Facebook because I shared the the Q&A episode went out today. And she said, I love these because um, so often they're questions that I would have asked, but I haven't had a chance to yet. And that's the point of of, um, immersing yourself in it when you can because it helps you build uh, your picture and your understanding so much more than just, you know, uh, living and coming when you have a problem. Um, because you you don't get as many of the, the connections. You don't make those connections. You don't learn those other pieces that can inform so much of your day. And, and it, it allowed me to bring things in before... I even needed them, you know what I mean? So that I avoided the problem in the first place. Right. So, so yeah, that's a huge piece. Um, you recorded a great five-minute video a few years ago that's called uh, Doing Unschooling Right, and I wanted to share a short quote from it. 
Uh, you said, my definition for unschooling is creating and maintaining an environment in which natural learning can thrive. The environment I'm talking about, what we sometimes call an unschooling nest, is not just the physical home, it's the relationships within the family and the exploration of the world outside the home by parents and children both. The emotional environment is crucial. So we're approaching intermediate unschooling here where natural learning is reasonably well understood and now there's a dawning realization of the importance of our relationships. As you say, the emotional environment is crucial so that our children feel safe and secure. So why is that so important for unschooling to thrive? Children are dependent on the parent for more than they would be if they were in school. So love and trust are what make unschooling work. It may not seem like that when your question is, what should, what toys do we have to buy? Should I let them play on the video, you know, video games and iPad? But it's the love and the trust that will help them learn. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, something that all teachers and psychiatrists know about, psychologists, talks about what's needed for learning to take place. And so unschooling parents need to keep all those conditions in mind and provide them because the child has no other outlet, no other backup. And there's on my page, uh, on my site, sandradod.com, Maslow, M-A-S-L-O-W, no caps. That has that, that chart. But if the child's in school and the parents are negative, there's a chance for the kid to have a happy, upbeat teacher. Might not, but could. But if the parents are there all day, or the child's all day, all night adult, and the adults are dark and depressing, the child has no one else to go to, no escape. So having a relationship with a negative person is not going to be at all the same as a relationship with someone who's cheery and open and curious and happy to hear your questions. So that's part of the environment that I'm talking about that it's not just a physical environment, it's an emotional environment. A better life involves parents being better. That seems like so trite, right? It seems like I'm, I'm saying water makes things wet. I'm going to say it again anyway. A better life involves parents being better. Better according to what or who and better than what people say. You don't get to say if I'm better. It's like, no, I don't, I don't get to say it and I don't care in a cold-hearted way because what it means is better than before a according to your child better than before according to your partner and if you're being honest then better than before according to yourself because if you're not doing better than school would be put your kids in school if what you're doing is not the best thing you can do or a better thing than would be happening otherwise then don't do it it's a waste of time it'll just frustrate everybody so being relative is real being better sorry being better is relative to some other markers and it's different for different families maybe their kids never were in school and it's subjective. And subjective does not mean it's worthless. And subjective doesn't mean it's without measure. It means different people's starting places and potentials are different. So it means better than it might have been otherwise. It's important for more experienced unschoolers too, intermediates we're talking about, to find ways to check themselves and not to need to ask others all the time, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Am I unschooling? So don't be fidgeting around in somebody else's back seat when you can jump in the front and drive now. It's a serious, quick exercise that anyone can do. I almost made somebody sick in England with this one, so just brace yourself. Mm -hmm. So imagine you're going to be away for a week. Not you, Pam, but the listener we can't see. Imagine you're going to be away for a whole week and you need someone to stay with your kids. What attributes should that person have? Should be mature or immature? Uh, let's say mature. Honest? Attentive. Yeah, somewhat attentive. Kind of attentive or really attentive? Because these are your kids there. And you're going to be in another continent. Uh, the person should be fun and happy 
Uh, maybe I would think the person should be sober for the whole week. Um, should it be a safe driver and someone who's willing to cook? Picture that person pretty well and then think, shouldn't you be that way yourself then? Don't be a person you wouldn't even leave your own kids with. So that's an intermediate exercise, I think. If we said that to the people who first showed up, they might cry because they're all stressed already but from the huge decision to depart from the mainstream so we're talking about people now, at this point of this talk, who have already been doing this for a few years. They've left the mainstream. They can't even see the assembly line from where they are. But still, if they become complacent and don't think that they need to do better or could do better, then they won't do better and they can't do better. And if they're ever going to get to be the unschooling parents that their future children need, their bigger, older children with bigger questions and problems, they need to keep getting better. So at an intermediate stage, the easy de-schooling is all done, but other deeper messages are going to float up to the surface sometimes. They're going to look different through unschooling eyes. So if you saw these problems or heard these questions when you were new, you may not even have perceived it or been able to think about it. But now as an intermediate unschooler, they'll come back up. And now you'll see them as an unschooler. And that's big. That's, a, that's progress. You don't have to ask if, you, if you're there yet. One thing that people say is all things in moderation. They say it, they write it. Sometimes it's a put down, sometimes it's a shield. And they say it to defend their actions. And one day Leah Rose wrote the coolest thing, and I'm going to read it. It's short. I've been thinking about that saying all things in moderation. Next time someone says it to me, I think I might just ask them, do you mean we should have joy in moderation? Should we have peace in moderation? Kindness in moderation? Patience in moderation? Forgiveness, compassion, humility? Honestly, I used to think it sounded like a very wise and balanced philosophy. Now, the more I think about it, the less sense it makes. And that was Leah Rose, and it's on my site under moderation, probably. I don't know. There will be other things to, there will be other things to review and consider as, as parents, even when the kids are getting older, and partly because when a child gets a certain age, it triggers memories in the parent. So the parents unschooling, de-schooling, pardon me, parents de-schooling, even though they might feel like they're all cruising now, you know, on the downhill, it's easy, they're all de-schooled. When the child reaches 12 or 14 or some age at which you had a trauma or a hard year, um, then the parent gets stirred up again about that child being that age. So there's always going to be some growth happening as long as the kids are home, even with, the, even with young adults. They'll get to an age when I had some mile marker, landmark problem, my dad died or something, and then I, their age stirs my memories. And sometimes it affects the way I treat them or talk to them or accept their nonsense. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we're all happy, happy, and we can just be as goofy as we want, and then sometimes there's, there comes a lump in me that I had not yet taken out and dried off. Um, I may not be describing that very well, but other people have have said to me that there came times when they they themselves found an unexamined part of themselves or something they hadn't dealt with. And it's good for your kids for you to do that, but you can't do it all in advance because it's not time. You don't have the the circumstances that trigger that. If you don't understand something, and this is either about unschooling or about things that your kids are asking, if you can't if you can't explain it, 
then you probably don't understand it very well. So if there are things you don't understand, don't freak out about it. Don't get mad about it. Find some definitions. Think of some good examples. Look it up. And so if when you were a new unschooler and your neighbors or somebody in an elevator or your in-laws said, so what is unschooling anyway? You probably sweated and got nervous and said, well, I, 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 it's kind of like, but by the time you're an intermediate unschooler, you probably have your little elevator talk. You have your little speech, your little definition. But it's okay if you can't stand up and talk about it for an hour. Don't feel bad about that as an intermediate. Some people never are going to stand up and talk about anything for an hour. But if you probably need to have enough in you to answer questions. And someday it'll be even more when you've done it for more years. The difference between explaining it when you're new and explaining it when you've done it is when you're new, you're just reciting other people's stories or you're saying, well, as I understand it, people do this. But as you have been unschooling for a while and new unschoolers come along, you're the helpful older unschooler and you might meet them at a park or a conference or online and then you get to practice explaining, which is clarifying for you. When you can explain anything better, you understand it better. And after a few years of unschooling, you'll be able to share what you know, not just what you think, not what you've just seen or heard. It'll be of your own certain knowledge. You know that it works because your child learned to read, learned to multiply, learned to do schoolish things. On top of all of the mountain of trivia that he knows, which isn't worth bragging to grandma about. Well, he can identify every tank in World War One, and Grandma's gonna not going to care, even though that is geography and history and politics and technology. So, yeah, sometimes you need those little schooly things. Um, after a few years, you'll also be able to step up and give people the confidence that they need to come closer to where you are. You become a draw, um, a resource, a magnet, even if you didn't plan to be, because they have questions and they want to talk to someone who's actually done it and actually been there. So it's a step up from the faith and hope that new unschoolers work with to your own certain knowledge, which is a legal term, an ancient legal term. I really like it. Do you of your own certain knowledge? And that's the people who should be answering questions on discussions is the people who have their own certain knowledge. A good goal at this midpoint of unschooling after a few years should be don't mess this up now. Don't mess up this child and don't mess up this opportunity. I really love the way you were talking about um, the experience that they had that they could now be able to share and that they now have um, like answers that they're comfortable giving when people start asking questions, because I think that's a, a really distinct um, change that that we can notice. And I remember um, I became a lot nervous, probably isn't the right word, but I was more comfortable being out and about with the kids because I wasn't worried that someone was going to approach me with questions. I wasn't feeling defensive. It was easy for me to be conversational. So I thought that was a really, uh, really interesting point. And the when you were talking about um, new things coming up, even after years, that's such a great point about so it can be things in our life. And it can also be um, expectations that we didn't really realize we had. You know, when your kid hits certain ages, oh, you know, yeah. when your eldest becomes 16, you've never unschooled a 16 year old before. And expectations around that age that you've kind of absorbed Growing up that 
that, yeah, you had no reason to think about before all of a sudden now start showing up. So yeah, there's, there can always be something. So, um, when I was just starting to feel kind of off, that was always such a helpful question to ask myself, you know, what, what does that mean to me? Why is it that I'm getting worked up? Because when I would look to my kids, uh, they were, everything was still uh, lovely. You know, they're still learning and pursuing their interests and, and doing all they're, they're doing unschooling, just lovely. It was my, something in my life that was bringing up the issues at the time. Um, uh, there was so much tacked into your definition of unschooling that I really loved because there was another great tidbit when you talked about the exploration of the world outside the home by parents and children, both. Because at this point, we've seen our children's learning in action, but now we're starting to realize the important role that we play because parents need to become unschoolers and that process doesn't happen all at once, does it? So I was wondering if you could talk about why that piece is so important. Well, I think becoming an unschooling parent is about recovery. And just like what you were just talking about, that it's different at different stages, they might be totally happy with a child who's elementary school age, but then when they become the age of whatever kind of school system they were in, mid-school, junior high, then the parents might get nervous again. and like, well, shouldn't you be doing this and this and this? It's like, well, based on what? Slow down. <laughs> shouldn't you be? So the parents, if they keep up with their own progress, they should be still learning about learning, either learning or trying to remember that they once knew long ago when they were little, that learning can happen wordlessly from sound, from images, from touching and playing with things, and even with adults. There are some things that you don't learn by looking at, you know, sand toys or slime. You can't just look at it. You have to touch it and let it do what it does. Um, Rocks and shells, they're no good to just look at. And by the way, if anybody has a rock or shell collection and you get bored, get a bowl of water. They look so different wet. The, the plainest little granite rocks can be beautiful when they're wet, but who's going to do that? It is not on the test, not even on the geology test. Uh, clay, soap, oil, those things need to be touched and messed with to learn about them. And it doesn't hurt for adults to do that either. Different oils feel different ways. So looking away from book learning for a while and not only believing and understanding that learning can happen otherwise, but prove it. Prove it by living with it and doing it. Instead of batting away questions and curiosities because you don't have to know, you're not in school, you're grown up, instead of batting them away, turn toward them and just be still and wonder. You don't have to wait for your kids to ask a cool question. You might have your own cool questions then at that point. And sometimes you might share it with your kids and maybe you don't. So I think this is another level of unschooling where at first the parents are so excited they want to know everything the kids have learned, and they want to share with the kids everything they think of. And after a while, the kids can get crowded with that, and the parents can kind of go on automatic and get a little maybe monotonous. So if they get to the point where they can discover something fascinating, read about it, go look at it in person, look at a video about it or whatever, and then not tell their kids, that's kind of another plateau of unschooling where the flow of learning in the house is not just between parents and kids, but learning becomes part of the substance and the air of the way that family lives, and that's going to help again as the kids get older. So set the example of living as a learner. Perspective changes gradually, not 
all of it in a minute, not all of it in a day or a year. It's just, it's lumpy. Sometimes you'll have a big epiphany and sometimes things seem the same for a while, but gradually you are further away from the way you used to be and closer to the way you will be. And there's a tension there, a tension, (laughs) two words, um, to remembering where you were and expecting to change. Don't just quit. Keep keep moving, keep growing, keep living as an unschooler. So progress can be seen by a mental comparison to school. How would this child be had he been in school? What would he be doing now if he were in school? And don't just look at it wistfully like, oh, he'd be in band. That was always my thing. Oh, he'd be in the music program. But look at the things that he's getting to do that if he were in school, he wouldn't be able to do. And that gives you some perspective on where you are. Also, run a mental comparison once in a while, just privately, you know, don't bring, don't have a family meeting about it. Just think it um, to the state of your family before you changed. How would you, how was your family then? How is it now? How would your family potentially be now? Had you not decided to be more positive, more gentle, more generous. And sometimes that is way more soothing than a bunch of people online saying, awesome mom. Because they don't know what they're talking about, but once you're, you've you been unschooling for a while, you do know what you're talking about, and your kids know. So it should be something that, that's within your family, that your satisfaction and your success is measured by the peace and satisfaction of the people in your group, in your home. So it's not a checklist or a discussion, but the parents' own internal assessment of better. So keep that better going. Um, at this point... Your past, how does unschooling work? Because you know your kids are learning. They're learning all the time. So now you can think of things like becoming more trustworthy. Be worthy of your children's trust in whatever way that's going to be, whether it's to be there or help them out or be there if they're scared at night, whatever it might be. Pick them up on time. Don't forget they're at karate. Um, Be reliable and somebody they can rely on. And so you can work on making yourself that sort of person, the sort of person that an older child needs. These aren't babies anymore that you're nursing and carrying around. These are big kids who can who can be away from you for a while. So what does reliability look like then? And there's some analogies people have proposed on this kind of learning where you think, ah, I'm done. I understand unschooling. We're unschooling like pros. Now it's like layers of an onion where that's finished. Oh, there's a whole other layer. Cool. Or bummer, depending how you feel about it. <laughs> but, um, so where you... Get to a new layer. Sometimes people have said level up. You know, they use the game language of I leveled up. Or as a hill to cross, and then there are more hills beyond that. But you can see a little further every time. A good way to take theories out, ideas that you have, is to put them out in discussions online or in person. If you think something is true and you're starting to get an idea and you probably didn't get it from somebody else this time, you're starting to build your own ideas. Put it into a discussion, see how they survive. Um, discuss it when you have unschooling gathering in the park talk about things with people and see if your ideas aren't starting to be as solid as anybody's and if your understanding isn't whole and and useful not just to yourself now but to these other people I think the same way when little kids can explain something that the parents had never heard before and the parents honestly and sincerely are going I did not know that that makes the kid big he's real 
he's doing he's doing for you what you had planned to do for him and that started happening to me when my kids were five and six already they had learned things from relatives or neighbors and they came and told me and i, I thought that was wonderful but i wasn't going to need to be their sole source of information so now as an intermediate unschooler when people are helping other unschoolers or other parents even just helping them solve a fight at a playground or Help, helping a mom who's overwhelmed with three little kids and one's crying, being able to be calm and whole and knowing some tricks to do that makes you a bigger, better parent, a bigger, better person than you were before. It's not just seeming like that, but you really are being that way. If living by principles and not by rules didn't make any sense when you first started unschooling, I'm not surprised. It's a little confusing. I mean, it's something you can recite and not understand. But after a few years, it should start to make sense. And so sometimes people have want to make a rule or have a principle like, we're going to be peaceful and safe. But if it's an absolute like that, it's really easy to fail, to find out that you're not absolutely peaceful and you're not totally safe. But here's what you do. You qualify all those statements. It's another really good trick to learn for when you're thinking or sharing or speaking, writing. Qualify it. So you can not guarantee that you can be peaceful and safe. But here's what you can absolutely guarantee. You can be more peaceful and safer. And the difference between saying, as unschoolers, we will learn everything we need to learn. You can say, as unschoolers, we're going to learn a whole bunch of cool stuff. So step down from, from any statements of absolute perfection to we're going to do something neat. It's going to be better than it would have been without. And... Be more peaceful than you were before and safer than you were before you were unschooling. Yeah, I think I love that idea of, of shifting away from absolutes at this point, too, because, um, you know, it, it. I really find um, that that shift away from 18 years, you know, from children and and the expect you'll notice the expectations that you have that they've learned a certain set of information and to be able to move past that and truly realize that um whenever they want or need to learn something is when they can do it you know it's that shift away from saying we'll learn like you said we'll learn everything that that we need to learn it's like well we, you know what? We really don't know what we might want to <laughs> exactly. learn at some point, right? <laughs> so it's to be able to release that. And it's like, wow, you know, I've been seeing my kids doing this for years now. And I know that they'll be able to do it in the future, too. And and you can release all that, those expectations that, you know what, you didn't think you had. But now a few years on, your kid, like you said, your kids are getting older and you're starting to look in into uh, that later picture, that future picture. And the other thing that jumped out when you were talking about trust and reliability, um, at this stage, this inter, those intermediate kind of years, for myself, one of the things, too, that I really found it was a time of stretching my comfort zones. Um, because, yeah, we're, we're living together and, you know, taking my, my needs into account, but I realized, um, as I took a moment to think, so many of what I thought of as my boundaries didn't really need to be there. And uh, just by supporting and helping my kids and saying, hey, you know, I can try that or I can support them as they want to try that. I learned and grew so much by not trying to hold so tightly onto uh 
those boundaries in our lives that I thought were safe, you know, and, and normal and nobody would think, uh, any less of me for saying no, that I can't, uh, do that or, you know, I'm not going to drive that far or I'm whatever it is, but to put in that little bit of extra energy brought so much to the, to our family, so much learning, so much, um, joy, you know, that, that it was so worth it to take that extra time to, to stretch in those years as well. What I found is that because I had trusted my, because my kids had trusted me now, they became really trustworthy. And I, there's no denying that some of it could be genetic. Who knows? You know, a lot of this stuff could be genetic. But I have also seen families where there was just so much frustration that there was no togetherness. They wound that kid up like a rubber band plane, and he launched as far as he could and just crashed as far from home as he could get. And so if you don't wind them up and launch them, they also are not going to necessarily pop out the nest at 18 or 21. And that's another expectation that a lot of people grew up with or that they're getting pressure from people around. So are you going to start charging them rent? Are you going to throw them out? They go, well, no, we're not. Marty, my my middle kid is 28 now, and he's uh, at the university studying um, economics. And he said it's pretty well accepted now that 30 is the old 21. That the things that people expected 21-year-olds to do, they can't do anymore financially because of the state of the economy and the world, and that they do those now at 30 whether it's buying a house or a car or getting their first fancy job, you know, their first uh, career job, uh, that that people who are expecting this to be like the 60s or 70s or 80s are going to be creating their own problem, and it might be good to loosen up. So I was totally willing to let Marty tell me all this stuff that he had learned and read because I didn't know that. I know. I love when our, when they uh, share insights like that. Joseph's very into um, a lot of that uh, sociology, society, from that bigger picture perspective, you know, ages and expectations and, and all that kind of stuff. So I have a, a lot of amazing, I learned so much from, from him and our conversation. So that's awesome. Uh, we should probably move on to the next question. <laughs> I'm ready. We... I'm ready. We do a monthly Q&A episode um, where we answer listener questions, and we've had a few about the concept of strewing, and that was originally your idea, so I was hoping you could share with us a bit more detail about it while you're here. The first time the word came up, it was descriptive. It wasn't prescriptive. I didn't say, okay, let's everybody do this. It was that someone said, how did you get your kids to learn all this stuff? And I said, I strew their paths with interesting things. And it was a response in the moment, and then it's stuck forever. It's like one time when Joyce said, always say yes, or something like yes. That has ruined some lives. But, you know, we didn't mean to. <laughs> to. At, that, at the moment it first came up, it was fine, but then it sort of wanders off and causes some trouble. So for me, what I meant was it was about living an interesting, rich life. And that's what I meant. And as it as over the years it became discussed and and sure enough I mean sometimes I'd put a thing out a big pine cone biggest pine cone I ever saw put it on the counter absolutely but I would have done that without unschooling because it was a thing about me I suppose but in the 50s when coffee tables first came out when they stopped having all of the flowery wallpaper and they got modern houses and they would have a you know sparse couch uh, and um, you know Danish modern coffee table they would put a thing there a little fan of magazines, and a conversation piece. 
And the conversation piece would be a conch shell or a basket from Africa or something exotic. And the purpose of it was for people to say, oh, that's cool, what's that? And so that was the model I had in my head for strewing, is if you find a cool thing, put it out. If it sits there for a week and nobody says anything, put something else there. But it's just a way to bring some outside stuff in without making a lesson out of it. It's not a unit study. It's just a thing. And sometimes things show up and they're very exciting and sometimes they're not. But I was never charting it, graphing it, you know, deciding whether it was worth my time to have set something down on the table. And so, But some other people took it and they, and they were harsher with it. They wanted efficiency. They wanted to know that they, were, that they were on the right path. And so then they would come and argue about, well, I don't want to strew because I want my house to be really clean. Somebody said to mess your house up. So the arguments about it have been interesting over the years, and the misunderstandings have been interesting. If it's a thing that the parents are not interested in, don't bring it home. Keith and I have brought stuff home for each other. So it's not unnatural for somebody to, to see a cool thing and to leave it sitting out. Or when I'm cleaning out the closet, like, oh, I hadn't seen this for a really long time, and put it out. And the kids would go, where did this, this come from? came from the closet. Where did you get it? And then it becomes a family story or a story of when you traveled. And it's the story, it's the conversation that's important, not the thing that you chose to put out. Um, if parents are hoping that it's some sort of substitute for their own de-schooling, it's not. There's not a substitute for that. Someone with a website about homeschooling with projects, like it was almost unit studies, but like project-based. And she used to be around the unschooling discussions from which she stole some good stuff. But now she's out talking about self-directed learning and how children take charge of their own education. So it's not a match. People shouldn't read both because it'll be unhappy. It'll make them unhappy. But she had an article that was critical of strewing, and she didn't understand it well at all. But she, she, dis, she referred to it as a roundabout way of engaging with your child. Mm-hmm. And, and that people shouldn't be that that it can become she's this is i'm quoting it can become the default way you support their interest passively and secretly rather than deliberately and openly but i couldn't argue with her you know because i wasn't in there but it was never intended to be secret or passive and it's not supporting their interest it's a conversation piece no that's completely different (laughs) yeah and then she, she talked about it, destroying trust between your child. If you're trying to take over or, or sneak something in on them or be manipulative, that at some point you need to make your mentoring visible, she said. And I just, I, when I was reading that the first time, I'm like, what? My mentoring has been visible since I first picked up a crying baby. You know, that my children have no question that I'm there to help them. They're sure. There's nothing I could set out in my house that would make them think, what is she trying to pull? (laughs) What is this woman doing to me? Because we already had that trust. So it is possible that if someone wasn't unschooling and then started unschooling and the kid is suspicious and resentful and doesn't want to learn school-wise and the mom puts out a a rock, (laughs) the kid might say, is this geology or what? Is this a science lesson? What are you trying to do? But I haven't seen that ever really. I've just heard people talk about it. But I've never heard a specific story of a, of a child actually flipping out because the parent put out an interesting toy. So 
it sounds like the woman was coming from an efficiency model. Like you have so much money, you have so much time, let's not waste it. Let's streamline the way we're educating our children. And the way we did it at our house, we had all the time in the world. We weren't in a hurry. We weren't measuring. We weren't keeping track of it. There was no schedule. We didn't have to justify anything. So that's the difference is the substance of unschooling. I, 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 if I were writing, I wouldn't use substance and substantial in the same sentence, but I just did. The substance of unschooling is substantially different from anything that involves teaching or having a unit where you have a report at the end. And then I thought, so I had stopped. I had stopped and sort of, you know, mentally started stomping around when I came to that part. And then I went back and looked, and she ended that paragraph with this. You need to deliberately show that you are listening, recording, and thoughtfully responding without attempting to take over. So she's talking about a whole different world. Because I never, in any, in any situation with my children when they were growing up, needed to deliberately show that I was listening, recording. Recording what? And thoughtfully responding? Well, if you thoughtfully respond all the time, you're not going to have this problem. So that's the difference. She's kind of trying to create a sort of school, and I've been helping people live a rich life. So in my picture of a rich life, changing the things that are visible makes sense. Because it, when the kids are little in the house, they're going to be home a lot, and you change what they see, what they come across. And when they get older, it might be driving on a different road or going to a different restaurant or a different grocery store. And when they get really older, it's like, can I go to this gaming convention in Missouri or California? Yes, sure. Here, here's the charge card. And those things are scary. Like you were mentioning when, when you, when the kids get older and they want to do things, but that almost is a continuation of having put a shell on the table when they were little. It's like, I, I realize that your life is going to be boring if you don't see some different things. And so it eventually becomes, can I go on a road trip? Because I've seen this town a lot. I don't think it's manipulative. Some people have said, strewing is manipulative. When my husband brings something interesting home, he's not trying to manipulate me. And if I go to the thrift store and see something that I know he could use for his medieval study stuff or woodworking or something, and I bring it home and leave it on his desk, I'm not trying to manipulate him. It's a gift. It's a possibility. And if he doesn't like it, it's no big loss. We, you can give it to somebody else, you can go back to the thrift store. But in, in no case is that sort of behavior in our lives manipulation. My kids bring cool stuff in all the time. And I don't know that it's that it, because they're used to seeing it or if they just would have anyway. But if the relationships and the trust are intact, or, and if that's your priority, then suspicion and rejection isn't likely to be a factor at all. I was just about to say, yeah, that that's why um, – I, I put this question in the intermediate area just because um, it works when you've got that trust in your relationship already. Yeah. You know, the whole idea that it, it might be manipulative or they might um, think you have expectations that that they um, react to it or or enjoy it or whatever, use it. Um, I think that is still when you haven't got that emotional safe space created quite yet. Right. And, and you don't have that trust that somebody just thought that was interesting. It, yeah. it might've been like, Hey, mom thought that was interesting. That, that might be all that they take out of it. But yeah, I think that's just part, 
it's just a way to show your curiosity and engagement with the world in general. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I thought that was cool. And it's out here. Like, I leave things all over. <laughs> right. You know, because because I came across something. It's like, oh, geez, we haven't seen this in ages. And I plop it somewhere, you know, so I can see it and other people notice it and conversations start. And it's just fun and cool. It's, it's just being engaged with, for, for me anyway, it's just being um, engaged with my days. If I'm trying to cause manipulate, if I'm trying to cause a person to act some way that he didn't want to, and I'm being sneaky and evil, that's manipulation. But if I put out some paper in a doodle top, that's not manipulation. It's not anything like that. I'm not trying to fool them into playing with doodle top. You know, play with it or don't play with yeah. it. They do. They yep. do. And if, if I bought new rubber bands and found the geo boards, which were up in a box on a shelf. I put the geo boards down. I bought new rubber bands. And in the morning, I was going to show them to Marty and Holly when they were little. And in the morning when I came in, they had already done some very cool stuff. I came in to make breakfast, and they were both up at the table making designs and copying the other designs. I walk over and said, oh, oh I was going to show those to you guys. And Marty said, look, and started telling me all kinds of shapes they were making. And what angles the different lines were. I'm like, okay, well, they didn't need me. But they did need me, without knowing it, to buy them some new rubber bands and get the geo boards down. Mm-hmm. So, but I wasn't going to write a report about it. It was just for fun because I saw rubber bands. Sometimes people, though, have rules. And, and this is another, this could have gone in the first section about what will keep somebody from getting it in the first place. If they have rules for themselves that they cling to, like if they have a phrase in their head like, I will never be manipulative. That's a dangerous tool. They're going to hurt themselves and others with it because if they're not really sure what manipulative means, but they have a rule against it, they could easily conflate that with being interesting or persuasive or creative. If they stretch their definition of manipulation to cover everything fun or everything where you would suggest you want to go to a new restaurant, no, if I wanted to, I'd told you. Then that's harmful to the relationship. And the, the, if the, if we were to agree, if you and I were to go, yeah, let's just give up this strewing thing. People are fighting about it too much. If we were to stretch manipulation to strewing, then it would seem to me like an unschooling family could be criticized for owning a globe or putting a map on the wall. Like, why is that there? Are you expecting your kids to learn geography? Mm-hmm. Or if they put on some new music that wasn't already somebody's favorite, who asked you to put that on? Are you trying to get me to listen to that music? And so that hostility and defensiveness is not healthy. So instead of me defending strewing, I want other people to get over their problems. That's my that's my take on it. But newness is part of the flow of life and learning. And so oldies are good. I love oldies, but sometimes you might might want to swirl some new music in there too. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, ooh, our last question. Uh, now I would like to talk about, uh, the perspective of those who've been unschooling a long time (laughs) because it really is a different mindset, isn't it? It's not just the intellectual understanding of the principles of unschooling, but it's also so much real life experience now, uh, having seen it in action with our own family for years and moving through many different seasons and different challenges. There's such an expansive feeling of openness and release that comes at this point, isn't it? So I was hoping uh, you could share a little bit about how you see that. I think of it as like climbing a, a big hill. 
down at the bottom of the hill, some people are climbing up and the beginners wander up and they see other people climbing and they may not ever want to take a step, but they might want to watch. And then when you start going up in front of you, all you see is the hill. I'm used to hills in New Mexico. Okay. So (laughs) all you see is the hill and the trail and a bunch of rocks. And behind you, you know, you don't want to go back down there. That's the place you've left. You've consciously decided not to be down there. You're going up the hill. But in front of you, it's just more hill. But when you get to the top and you crest it, you can see like the whole world. You, From seeing dirt and rocks and maybe cactus and some bushes in front of you or whatever you might see on the trails in your neighborhood. Now... This may not even work in your neighborhood. You may not be able to see very far if there are a bunch of trees on the hill. Let's everybody imagine a hill in New Mexico. <laughs> and when you get to the top of the hill, you can see a lot that you could not possibly have begun to see before you got there. But you can't get there without going up the hill. So that's what it seems like to me, is you can't be a long-time unschooler unless you go through all those other stages. And you talked about having the experience of having gone through seasons and different situations and changes. So that builds a huge amount of calm experience and you can calmly advise other people. Yeah, don't worry. He hasn't done anything for three or four months. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Whereas if it was their first year, they'd be flipping out. So when the people who are giving that advice are the, are the good unschooling experienced unschooling people who really worked at it, who kept that tension going where they were always attentive to be better, then I really want them advising people that just because someone's unschooled for 12 years doesn't mean that they are what I consider to be good advanced unschooling advisors to others. Because some of them have just sort of been twiddling their thumbs and not doing very well. Um, There's nothing I can do about that except to remind people that the same way that you chose advisors when you first went to discussion groups, keep that in mind later on too. Because some people get to where their kids are teens and the relationship isn't that great for one reason or another. And sometimes uh, we can see the reasons, but it's too late to do much about it. So I really always want to help people do as good a job as they can because you don't really get a second chance. Unless you're going to have a whole other bunch of kids after those teens are gone. But, oh, that's so much work. (laughs) Um, uh, From that expansive, larger view, though, having completed that, climb in the only possible way which is gradually your life changes because you're up there you can see all the way down you can see all the way where you used to be if you look back all that school and childhood you can see all of that and you look in front of you and you see the whole big wide world and your kids are ready for it if you did well if things went okay and your kids are grown and they're not messed up they're not harmed they don't have a drawer full of reports from the office or report cards, whatever negative things could, they could have picked up had they been in school. They don't have that. And they've been out in the world. When people say, how will they get ready for the real world? You've been one of those people who's been saying they already have always been in the real world. They live in the real world. And now you're up at the top and you can see that and you can help them. Now you see what kind of help they need now that they're teens. But I also want to say some people get to that point and their kids are still in single digits for some reasons about that family or about that individual. Sometimes people with an only child go more quickly. Um, I'm thinking of Colleen Prieto, Karen James, Jocelyn, um, Joyce Federal, uh, Jocelyn Vilter. She's not right. 
driving anymore, but she only had one child. And so her understanding went quickly because she was hanging around with other people with more children. And only children sometimes tend to hang around with adults more than they do with other kids. Um, so I'm not saying it's, it's, there's, it's not a timetable that I'm predicting that your kids have to be 14 before you can be advanced on sports or something. It's not that. But uh, a, a lot of thinking and writing and talking and sharing about it helps. I've seen that a lot. So Amsterdam wrote the coolest thing. I'm sure it's been quoted in your, in your talks before, and it'll probably be quoted again because it's worth quoting. She said this. She wrote this in June 4th, 2007. As we get older and our kids grow up, we eventually come to realize that all the big things in our lives are really the direct result of how we've handled all the little things. It doesn't work in the beginning level. You can't tell a beginner. I mean, we, we show this to beginners all the time, but it'll be like went 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 to them because you cannot say all the little things that I handle today with my six-year-old will make him a, a, you know, a, a judge, <laughs> district court judge someday. Those are the things you see looking back. So when you look back, you see the path that brought you where you are at the top of that hill with that experience. The co- uh, another thing that, that advanced unschooling seems to bring to people is the ability to be calm. And maybe it's because you've let yourself, your kids go on road trips and they came home and that sort of thing. But there's a, there's a, a calming, positive sort of energy when families have succeeded in getting to that point peacefully. And with their kids whole, they've probably learned how to affect their own biochemistry, literally, that they know how to calm themselves down, how to keep themselves from getting upset when children are asking things they didn't expect or whatever it is. And the long-term effect of not having learned calming tricks, which could go back to the people who are cynical and pessimistic, and they go, I don't have to be any nicer. You're wrong. I don't have to do what you say. And I don't have to be more peaceful. The long-term effect can be divorce, loss of friends loss of contact with their children, or imprisonment. I like the imprisonment part. When I was speaking in England, I told them as a preview, I said, uh, later in the day, I'm going to tell you how to stay out of prison. <laughs> and the trick for staying out of prison is to learn to breathe and to think and to make the better choice. And I said, if you can go into a prison and talk to everybody who's in there for having stabbed somebody or shot somebody or driven their car into a building, you know, or something that you just did because of adrenaline, you didn't mm-hmm. think, you just did it. If they could have taken one long, deep breath, thought of two things, chosen the better one, a bunch of them would be at home watching TV. So this is important when you have children that you don't, don't act in a self-righteous way on your first impression of what you have the right to do or what's okay to do. And some people can get to the point where they have unschooled teens and they're still clinging to their right to get loud and rude and hateful but they're not the ones who have the best outcomes in my experience. If someone wants to write to you and say, no, no, I'm totally pessimistic and cynical. I ignored everything you guys always said, and my kids are fine. Well, let them write. But I don't want them advising people on my discussions because of the divorces I've seen, because of the harm I've seen of people who want to cling to their negativity. So advanced unschooling, ideally, the children have also picked up on, a, on the tricks to avoid negativity and they can breathe in such a way that they can slow their own heart rate and dissipate their own adrenaline. And they too have more friends and are not in prison. That's some unschooling success. 
when they go get jobs. If they can be calm in a job interview, that's a benefit. They don't teach that in school. They teach you how to write a resume and how to dress and how to sit and stand up and shake hands. Well, my kids already know all that. My kids also know to think before they answer and to breathe and to be calm. There's There's a way that applies back now to all of this talk and to everything in the future, that's an advanced topic, and that's about credits and the points that you can earn or spend or lose in social situations. Not so much with your family now, but I'm talking about with other people that you might want to influence or to see that your children have this sort of social credit also. You gain or you lose credit with other people by the way you treat them, by your trustworthiness and reliability. And Attributes and traits that you might have learned from unschooling, like gratitude and a sense of abundance, um, that will help you with other people. Sometimes you lose points from prejudices or bad attitudes, or sometimes you gain points because you're just attractive one way or another. Nice voice, cute hair. And that's the point I was making earlier about not choosing your sources by, by attraction, but it's a normal human thing to do. So if, somebody's, if someone's done something you appreciate, they earn points with you whether it was that they actually gave you super helpful information or that they told you you were an awesome mom. So we don't know what what we're doing will earn points with which people. And sometimes you earn points with people you didn't want to impress. You impress some biker or, you know, what, Klansman, because of something you did or said. It's like, oops, sorry, I would prefer not to have your points. Um <laughs> So points aren't universal. It's not like a bank where we can check each other's balances at all. Although there was a TV show like that where people had social credits. What was it called? Um, Dark Mirror? I saw that. That was on, yeah, Black yeah. Mirror. Yeah, Black Mirror. That was interesting. <laughs> so it's not quite that clear cut, but it's as real because people have credit or, or lack of credit that they have themselves earned one way or another. So the way you're perceived by others, by a few people or many people, they're comparing you and you lose or gain. So that's worth knowing as your kids are getting older, as you are becoming more senior in unschooling community discussions, meetups, park days, it's worth knowing that the value of your opinions is based on what you've done and said and what you know and how honest you are and how reliable. It's a form of unspoken social accounting and everybody's got it, but very few people talk about it. So when I was speaking in the UK, I was talking about this, about figuring out um, who to respect. There are things that you respect about people and you just keep your own accounting somehow. So don't forget that you can lose all your points by screwing something up. You can lose all your points with your children too. You can have built up years and years of credit and then spoil it. So don't give up just because they're 18 or 21. Don't think now you can let down your guard and be, be rude or not be receptive to them or not be supportive of them. And that's a weird thing that you don't talk about when people's kids are younger. But even a even a 25-year-old might be really needy of a hug from mom or, or for mom to not say anything and not touch him, to just leave him alone. And it's hard to know that, but if you grew up with those kids every day all the time, it's much easier to know it than if they had been in school, straight to a university in another state, straight home, and they're somewhat strangers to you. So there's an advanced topic that's awkward and difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a historical term in English called oath helper. It's in English and also in Norse. And it was a legal term for someone who goes to court. It's a little bit like a character witness, but it's more than that. It's like co-signing on a loan. They co-sign on your oath. So if they lied, you're both in trouble. 
And that's kind of the relationship that parents end up with with their children after a long time of unschooling. That partnership becomes almost tangible where if the child is really reliable, the parents get credit for it. Parent relatives, friends, professors, all the people around go, wow, unschooling must be great because your child is this and this and the other. And a lot of parents of teens see that. I saw it when Kirby was got the offer to teach karate when he didn't even have a black belt. You know, but he was he was a teen who was reliable and they put him in charge of the little kids. They didn't give black belts to kids at that school, to be fair, but you know, he had topped out and they he didn't say, Gosh, I'd like to teach. They just said, Will you please teach this class? Part of the deal. But there was no one else available and reliable to, to ask. And so in a way I got points for that. Unschooling got points for that. Um, I'm sure people who are listening to this are thinking of some of their own examples, and if not, go on my site, and there probably are some there, um, and the successes of teens or stories that teens' parents didn't expect to happen. Um, So at an early stage, all that trustworthiness and points are all just within your own family. But as kids get older and move out away from the house, and as you get older and are being seen as a person whose kids didn't go to school, that social credit is useful and good. Another aspect of growth and maturity in the parents is service. Also, not always a very popular topic or not a common topic when people just sit around having coffee and donuts. There are men's service groups. You can join one of those. But the idea of service as a part of personality and daily life is an advanced unschooling topic, I think. If a parent can find the humility to see that the way that he lived before was somehow wrong or harmful in some degree, or that the way he was raised wasn't the only way, or perhaps it wasn't the optimal way, then if the parents can let that harshness skip a generation and they can do things that their own parents didn't do, like be respectful of a child or to give them choices or to see a child as a full human being, they level up. Ideally, you could do that without fear and without the hope of future reward or acknowledgement, but just do it because you're a better person than you were before. You learned all these wonderful things from living a big life of learning. That's beautiful, Sandra. I really, uh, the idea of, of seeing um, the way your, your kids are out in the world, I'd never thought of it really as social credit before, but that is, that describes it so succinctly, you know, seeing um, how your kids are taking this lifestyle um, and how they've learned to be as a person and then bringing that out into the world. I always kind of think of it as, as ripples, you know, the, the ripples of um, the people that they've become this way and their understanding, you know what, trying to think of the right way to, to, to describe it because it's not anything conscious, right? right. Um, it's just who they are. It can be waves and particles, Pam. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Sandra. I super appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. It's always fun to speak with you. And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Radical Unschooling Info on Facebook is the easiest, but probably the best, more solid discussion is always learning at Yahoo Groups. 
And I have a webpage, which will be linked under this, wherever you found this, sandradod.com. Some of the pages that I mentioned will be in the links also. Excellent. You will uh, share all those links with me and I will pick up any other ones and they will all be in the show notes for people. So I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much, Sandra. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the third book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Life Through the Lens of Unschooling. This book is a wide array of essays drawn from my blog that shed light on the day-to-day lives of unschooling families. You'll find essays tackling everything from learning to read to visiting relatives, all organized around nine keywords that have been woven into the fabric of our unschooling lives. Deschooling, learning, days, parenting, relationships, family, lifestyle, unconventional, and perspective. The theme is life, the lens, unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.